My grandpa John, my grandpa John, my mom's stepdad, was actually somewhat wealthy. He was he achieved the status of a millionaire at one point in his life, and um, it was through a business that he had started. He was an entrepreneur, and um, I remember going to family events, and I remember being at uh, family gatherings and hearing relatives talk about Grandpa John, and it always centered around money and what he did and didn't do with his money. It was fascinating. Uh, comments like, well, you know, John could have picked up the tab for all of us to dot, 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 if he had wanted to. Well, you know, John could have snagged those tickets for us to fly all the way from New York to Vegas, you know, if he had wanted to. And, and comments like that that would, be, that would be made a lot. One of the ironies is that by the time my mom intervened, because her mom, um, who was married to Grandpa John, um, got Alzheimer's, uh, all that money had, had been gone. It was gone. It was down to $30,000 in the bank with $100,000 in debt. Yeah, all of it had been squandered. None of it had been given away. It's, and, and, you know, everybody in the family, the same conclusion, that what a waste. What a waste, right? Have you ever met somebody who was, like, wealthy? Or have you ever known somebody who was wealthy? Um, Weren't you disappointed or just a little bit angry when, given the opportunity to be generous, like Scrooge, they chose not to? I mean, wasn't there some part of you that were like, Scrooge! Scrooge! You're a Scrooge! Ebenezer! Point to your nose. My dad and I encountered that when we um, went on the road. There was a six-month period we went on the road in Jessamine County, and we hit up businesses and organizations for money for the Jessamine County Food Pantry. This was when my dad was still living. And he wanted to hit up the banks first. <laughs> and I remember, I remember the differences between the banks and the bankers. Oh, it couldn't be more stark. And I remember sitting in one bank president's office. I knew him. My dad knew him well. And uh, leaned back in his big, plush leather chair, and he looked at my dad and he said, you know, Mike, a lot of people think that banks and bankers are rich. And I got to tell you, that's simply not true. Creaked back in his leather chair in a mahogany paneled office. <laughs> the only one in town, <laughs> mahogany paneled office. A mutual acquaintance of this banker president that I knew that he knew, uh, that same time period, told me that he was doing a, a renovation expansion thing to his home to the tune of $900,000. You know, Mike. <laughs> you know what I thought about that banker? Actually, it's church, and I can't tell you. That <laughs> would be bad. But you have those same thoughts, don't you? I mean, or let's say that you and a buddy work at UK, and you're pulling $32,000 a year, each of you and, you, and you put in your hours, and you're doing the UK thing. You're glad that, you know, it's better than 16 a year. Come on, all right? And, and you're happy, and you're doing okay, and the, somehow it ends up that the two of you and the dean go out to lunch. And, and you have lunch, and at the end of lunch, the waiter comes to the table. Clearly, the dean is the oldest person at the table, looks like he's got some bucks, and the waiter mistakenly says, do you get the ticket? And without skipping a beat, the dean goes, oh, separate tickets, please. Isn't there a part of you that, like, later on at the office with your buddy, aren't you, like, having a conversation about the dean? 
Come on. Then, I mean, it happens. Okay? Since, since this is church and since we're family, I just want to lay something out. Okay? And I just, I got to say it because it bothers the snot out of me. Aren't greedy people annoying? I know. I know. It's like terribly annoying. It's just unattractive is what it is. It's just unattractive. If only they would know, if only they could see that generosity was so beautiful and so attractive and so wonderful. I'm actually fortunate enough, I've got two sets of parents that even though they may not be rich, they're generous. And uh, my in-laws, um, my in-laws, she was a high school teacher her whole life until she worked uh, as a low-level administrator for the last like five or seven years of her teaching career. By the way, if you're in college and you're entering education, no, you are not doing so to become wealthy. I right, just want to get that out there, okay, just in case. Now, if you create testing programs, that's a different story, okay? You can become quite wealthy if you develop a testing program that a state adopts, okay? But, so she was a teacher. Every year, or about every other year, my in-laws have, have rented a, a cottage or a house on the beach at the Outer Banks of North Carolina. And they've always had a room for our family. And every year there's that thing, and I'll say, well, you know, how much should we kick in? You know, what's our part of that? And David, my father-in-law, will go, no, no, no. You're, you know, your money's no good. It's, ta it's taken care of. No problem. We just want you to come. Isn't that, isn't that a, I mean, that is so sweet. And, and I remember the conversation he had with my mother-in-law for five years about the couch that was in their living room, okay? Uh, this couch at the time was 35 years old, and it was that yellow gold that was like really in in the late 60s. I, if you're old enough, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It was gold, baby, okay? And it was a 35-year-old couch, and Karen wanted to replace it. And so year, year one, nope, didn't replace it. Year two, nope, didn't replace it. And I love the way my father-in-law puts it. He says, we don't put our money into stuff. We put our money into people in the kingdom of God. I love that about him. And uh, my mom, occasionally, uh, my mom will show up at our house when we're gone and there'll be groceries that are left in the cupboards and she does this without being asked come on isn't that isn't that nice isn't that generous and there's probably one or two of you that are here right now today and you're like how's come my parents can't be like that could your parents talk to my parents like could i get numbers after church you know um and you think that because generosity when you're on the receiving end of it is just absolutely awesome it is there's something about seeing it in action that you go, you know, that's how it should be. Everybody should be like that. That's the way things ought to be. And that thing in you that feels that way so strongly is there because God's generous. I don't know if you know this, but like the most famous verse in the Bible, the one verse that's at every National Football League game in America, you know the verse I'm talking about. John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave... That's right. God loves, so God gave. God's a giver. Generosity is part of his nature. It's in there. And so when you or I or anyone else gives and is generous, whether we realize it or not, we're actually imitating God. We're imitating him when we do that. I came across in Fortune magazine, as I was preparing for this series this summer, a fascinating, lengthy uh, story about the Buffett family. You know who Warren Buffett is? one of the richest men in the world, okay, one of the top three richest men in the world, Warren Buffett, owner of Berkshire Hathaways. Um, I, I don't know what the minimum, I don't know what to buy one stock. They've never split the stock. So I think one 
share is like $100,000 or a million dollars. It's some obscene amount of money just to buy one share of his stock. Okay, so he's got tons and tons of money. But this, this was a series about Warren and his son Howard and his grandson Howie. I know, wasn't that cute? They did the name thing, okay? So Howard, his son, is a farmer in Illinois. Did you know that? He's a farmer. The son of Warren Buffett, the richest man in the world, and he is a farmer. He grows corn and soybeans and other things, vegetables, not animals. And uh, Warren Buffett said this, uh, on my 82nd birthday, I doubled what I gave Howard and Howie. Do you know why he did that? They weren't spending it on themselves. His son, Howard, um, has this huge initiative that he's trying to do. In his mind, there are all these people on the planet, and we keep making more people and more babies and more people, and the food supply isn't keeping up with it. And so he's all about how can we feed 9 billion people? How can we feed 12 billion people and do so in a way that's environmentally friendly, that's good to animals, and that's good for the earth? How do we do that? How do we make that happen? And how do we do so in a way so that people can afford it, so that it's not just the rich people who are eating, but it's everybody who can have food? Come on. Whether you're Christian or not, or no matter where you are on the political spectrum, don't you hear that and go... Way to go, Howard. And is it any wonder that his dad doubled the amount that he was given his son Howard because of what Howard's doing? In this interview, his son, one-on-one, -on -one, admits to the interviewer, I'll never be as successful as my father. And the, the, the fun thing is, in a separate interview with Warren Buffett, his dad, his dad said this. He was asked, what do you think of your son? He said, quote, you don't measure success by money, but by affecting others. In my eyes, my son will forever be tremendously successful. Doesn't get any better than that. You know, Jesus actually said something eerily similar to what Warren Buffett said in that interview 2,000 years ago. If you brought a Bible, we're going to return to Luke, where we started off, only we're going to do the whole Paul Harvey, the end of the story thing today. So Luke chapter 12, and we're going to start in verse 13. They're not going to put this part up here. I'm just going to read this parable to you. All right? Uh, Jesus is teaching. It's a large setting, and this was the passage we were in, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such a thing as that? And then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life isn't measured by how much you own. Didn't Warren Buffett just say? Yes, he did. Okay? Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, friend, you've enough stored away for years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night, and then who will get everything you worked for? And this is the kicker, and this is the verse we'll put up on the screen and that will start our time to today. Yes, Jesus said, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. A person is a fool not to have a rich relationship with God. Now, 
Was the farmer in the story a fool because he was rich? No. Nope. Being rich in God's radar, in God's economy, is not a thing for God to go, you're rich, I'm going to get you. You know, God, the cosmic zapper does not get activated once you go hit like 60,000 a year or 100,000 a year or a million a year or whatever it is. So why is this farmer, why is this farmer a fool in the story? It's because he thought all of that extra was for himself. His consumption, his use, his family's consumption, his family's use, either now or his use and his consumption in the future. And that's why Jesus says, God says to him, you fool. See, apparently with God, it's not okay to spend 100% of what we make or what we get or what we earn on ourselves. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? Well, Jesus spells it out in this very same passage, and it's down a little further. If you go all the way down to verse 32, and they'll put that up, Jesus says this, Don't be afraid, little flock. Okay? These are terms of endearment. This is like when you've got a kid and you say, Daddy loves you, Mommy loves you. Okay, that's a term of endearment, right? Don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So he says, sell some of your possessions give to the poor and in doing so you'll get treasure in heaven jesus is encouraging people to actually get treasure amass treasure but it's treasure that's going to last it's treasure that can't be touched can't lose its value and treasure that won't be passed off to your cousin irma at your wake after the funeral it's treasure that actually doesn't go anywhere it's safe it's secure and then, if I could hone in on verse 34, and that's the last one there, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Remember in week one, I said that what you and I do with the money and stuff that we have speaks to the condition of our heart? There's this connection, and, and, and people get it. When you and I see somebody and meet somebody that has a lot and that has extra and they're stingy and they're greedy, we make a judgment, we make an assessment about them. You know, sometimes on the spot, sometimes over time, because we know internally that there's this connection between money and hearts, okay? Now, most of us, most Americans, here's the problem that we run into. We make two mistakes, and I'm gonna be bold to point out these two mistakes. The first mistake that we make is that we, we assume that we're more generous than we really are. And the second mistake we make is that we assume that generosity is something for down the road. It's a later thing. It's a one-day thing. In other words, uh, when the, with the first mistake, assuming that we're more generous than we really are, it's things like we'll buy some Girl Scout cookies, we'll be at an, an event, maybe at an Asbury event, where they're talking about something about uh, the hurricane in the Philippines, and we'll donate $100, and we'll feel like, man, Man, I was generous. That was so good I was able to help, and I was able to do that thing. 
Um, and then with the whole down the road thing, it's, well, when I get a stable job or when the car's paid off or when I'm out of debt or when I actually have a job, I'll be generous. I can't be generous now, but one day I'll be generous. John Wesley, uh, who lived and died a long time ago, um, when at the time a comfortable man, a comfortable living was 30 pounds a year, John Wesley's income was 1,400 pounds a year. Let me put that in today's dollars. If $75,000 a year right now is a comfortable living in America, and most Americans say that it is, then in today's dollars, John Wesley was pulling $3 million a year. That was his income, okay? $3 million a year. Back then, uh, taxa you think taxation's bad now. <laughs> you should go, you should really should read stuff in history. It's fun, it's entertaining, you know, the, the crazy things that they did. But the English had um, these tax visitors, and they would come into your home, and they would ask to see all of your silver. And one, just one of the many taxes was a tax on all the pieces of silver that you owned. The wealthier that you were, the more silver that you had. And so silver, owning a lot of silver, was kind of like a, a status thing, okay? So in, I can't remember the year it was, the English tax commissioners show up, they visit Wesley, they found that the man only had four spoons, four silver spoons. That's all. That's all the silver he owned. They were absolutely flabbergasted. They were convinced he was holding out. How could a man pulling $3 million a year only have four spoons? Will you tell me you don't have the internet? What? What is this, 1930? Come on, John Wesley. They were flabbergasted. Do you know what he had done with the money? He had given it away to the church and the kingdom of God and to those in need. It just came in his hands and went out of his hands. He lived simply. He had this three-rule thing. He said, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. You could put that like on a bumper sticker if you're into Wesley or a t-shirt or something. Here's, here's the contention I, I want to make today. Um, generosity is actually about a number, but it's not the number you think it is. When it comes to generosity and the way God sees things, it's all about percentages because God sees things in percentages. And if you don't believe me, just read the Bible cover to cover. God sees things in percentages. Um, it's Scrooge. We just saw a clip from um, Charles Dickens' tale, uh, A Christmas Carol. At the end of the story, Scrooge is transformed. He's a new man. How do you know he's a new man? What are some of the clues? He buys the go big goose for the Cratchit family. He provides for Tiny Tim's medical needs and um, care. He's, he gives everyone in his employment a raise. And then the two men that came in the first part, he approaches and he gives them such a large sum of money, they're flabbergasted. And what does Scrooge say when they're like, oh, what do we do? He says, I assure you there are a great many back payments included in that sum. The proof for Scrooge is in the pudding. His generosity shows that he's a transformed person. I love Charles Dickens. He stole that right out of the Bible. You know where he stole it from? It's the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the wee little man from Jericho who was despised by everybody, hated in town. Everyone hated him. Scoundrel, richest man in town, but he got it, you know, by being a skinflit, hard-nosed, cruel man. Yeah, we know all about Zacchaeus. 
And he has this encounter with Jesus. And what is, what is, what is Zacchaeus' transformation translate into? I will give half my money to the poor. And anyone that I have wronged, I will repay four times the amount. And anyone looking at that goes, okay, well, you know, he's had a God encounter or is doing drugs or something, okay? <laughs> you know, so, which is why today I want to dare you. I don't have any homework. I have a dare, okay? I double dog dare you to do some math this week. Here's, here's my dare. Take whatever you gave in terms of dollars, add it all up, and come up with that amount. That'll be the little number. Then add up what came into your hands, what you earned, what you got. And take the small number and divide it by the big number, and it will give you a percentage. And then once you have that percentage, ask yourself one simple question. Looking at this number, am I generous? Would I consider myself to be generous looking at this number? All right? I brought along some things uh, to help us out. Now, here's the surprising, shocking thing. I know this will rock your world to say this. You don't have to be good at math to figure this out. If you have a smartphone, they have a percentage calculator app in the iTunes store and in the Android store. And guess where else you can find it? This is even on Windows! You know that this is earth-shattering stuff when Windows has the app for it too, okay? So you don't need to be good at math. You don't even need to have to just download the percentage app, okay? So I did that. I've got the percentages calculator, and then I'm going to select percent of a part value, all right? So let's, let's show one example, all right? So let's say your little number is $250 over the course of a year or whatnot and the income is 27,500. And then you push the calculate button. Now this isn't 9%, this is 9 tenths of 1%, so it's almost 1%. All right, let's go to the next one. Here's, uh, here's somebody uh, that's making $50,054. I don't know if you know this or not, but that's actually the median income for Americans right now, uh, or at least the last amount that the Census Bureau was able to articulate or calculate. Okay, so, and that person, over the course of the year, maybe they were given $100 a month to the food pantry or their local church, and so you hit calculate, and that comes out to 2.43%, all right? And let's go to another one. Here's somebody that's making a couple of thousand dollars more than the previous person, but they're socking away 6,500 in the course of a year. That's about 500 a month almost. And that comes out to about 12%. Again, it's not about the number at the top. It's about the number at the bottom. Because God sees things in percentages, just like you and I do. And so I've got one more example. And here it is on the far right. Okay, so the person on the far left gave $1,215. The person in the middle gave $6,500. The person on the far right gave $500. Which person, one, two, or three, was the most generous? Number three, who gave the least amount of money. If you're a high school graduate over the course of your lifetime, 
you will see $1.2 million come through your hands. Did you know that? That's your earnings over a lifetime. If you're a college grad in America, that translates to $2.5 million over the course of your life. If you uh, have a professional degree like nursing or psychology or something like that, it translates to $4.1 million over the course of your life. That's some serious coinage, isn't it? Over 40 years. Okay? Here's the thing. The, the mindset that's like, well, later on, someday, when I, when, you know, when, when I'm out of debt or when I'm, when I'm this, when I'm that, I will be generous. That's the mindset. I'm a, I'm a pastor and I counsel young couples who want to get married. And it's like the young couple that came in and when I asked him, how do you handle conflict? This is what she said. Well, when there's a fight or a disagreement, he yells at me, and he yells some explicatives, and then he storms out. So, like, an hour or two later, or whatnot, when you come back together, do you resolve it then? Oh, no, we just don't talk about it. Next thing out of her mouth. But I know that once we're married, he won't do that because he'll be my husband. You guys are being so judgmental. She just wants to be happy. Why would you rob her of her happiness? You just don't understand. Okay? Yes, the reason it's funny is because if he gets mad and he storms out now, just because he's called your husband doesn't mean it's going to change his behavior. And so that, that, it's that way with money. We've got to learn to be generous now with what we have. It's not a later kind of a thing. If we can put that... Um, last screen up that shows the three things. I actually want to tell you about the person, number three, because that's not just a fake example, that's a real example. Um, I've told part of this story twice at Generations when I've taught on how you can trust God to meet your needs. But I want to tell you the rest of the story today that, you, that, that those of you that have been around me a long time don't know. When I was a sophomore at Wheaton College, I showed up and I wrote the, the check for the tuition and I, w I, I emptied out my checkbook. I had nothing left. I had nothing left to buy books. I had nothing left for expenses. I mean, I was, I was broke. I was done. And I was panicked because I thought for sure I would have to leave Wheaton that semester. And I, I cried and I was desperate and I asked all my floor mates from freshman year to pray for me. And they did. One of them was a young man named Talmadge. And Talmadge, in praying for me, felt convicted to write me a check for $500, and he put it in an envelope, and he slipped it under the door. And I had money for books and to get me going at Wheaton that semester. Now, that's the part I've told at Generations, but here's the part I haven't told. Talmadge grew up on the continent of Africa. He was a missionary kid. And he was a missionary kid in the 1980s. Let me tell you stuff about missionary culture back then. If you were a missionary kid growing up at that time, you never saw a new article of clothing your entire life. I, I'm serious. It's the way we rolled in church back then, okay? So in other words, when your parents would come home from furlough, all the people in church would kind of go through what their kids had outgrown or didn't want anymore, and you'd get that to clothe your children when you went back to the field. And when Talmadge showed up at Wheaton freshman year, at some point during the year, the girl, uh, there were a couple of girls as a prank got him a new shirt. And I remember him uh, in his room flabbergasted 
it was the first shirt off the rack he had ever gotten in his life. Talmage, I know. It's crazy. So, utter poor missionary people, and they were just below the jungle part of Africa. That's where they served. And when he got on a plane to come to Wheaton that semester, he had $1,000 for the year for books and everything. That's what he had. That's all he had. And when he wrote me a check for 500 he gave half of what he had. That's generosity, right? That's generosity. So I dare you to do the math, to know where you are, so that, not because it's about me, not because it's about anything other than you being rich toward God, which is what the Bible says. So if you don't like where you are after doing the math assignment, do something about it and give it first before you pay bills. And that's all I would say, all right? So you've got your dare and know that it's because I want you to be like Talmadge when you get to heaven and not Ebenezer Scrooge before he has the three people come in the middle of the night <laughs> and change him.